The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. The scripture reading for today is Psalm 119, 92 through 96. So that's Psalm 119, 92 to 96. If your law had not been my delight, I would have, per- I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's, uh, Let's pray together this morning. Father, I ask that you would show us what it means that we would perish in our affliction if it were not for delight in your word. Through your word, work by your spirit to shine a light on Jesus and reveal him as our sufficiency. We love you. We pray these things in his name and by your spirit. Amen. If you haven't had a chance, I do invite you to open your Bible to Psalm 119, verse 92. Psalm 119, verse 92. So today is the final Sunday of the season of Lent. Uh, We've been walking through a series simply entitled, Not by Bread Alone. So through this series, what we've been trying to do is see what it is we believe about this book. What, What do we believe about the Word of God? Why do we believe it? And we've wanted to see that so that we might live by it. We've looked at several things. We've looked at the reliability of this word. We've looked at its clarity, authority, its necessity. And and here's the deal. All of those things, reliability, clarity, authority, necessity, if all of those things are true, then it should not be hard for us to see the final thing we're going to look at this morning, and that is its sufficiency. This is the sufficient word. There's actually, there's actually a really interesting parallel between the sufficiency of the word and the sufficiency we see on Palm Sunday. That's what today is. The final Sunday of Lent is also Palm Sunday. It's the, it's the day when we remember Jesus at the beginning of his final week before his crucifixion and resurrection. At the beginning of that week, he rides into the city of Jerusalem mounted on a donkey. This is symbolic of him coming as a king who brings peace. Kings of Israel would ride horses during wartime. Donkeys were the mode of transportation during peace. And so Jesus comes as a king of peace, and the people recognize him as such and receive him as such. They, they run out to greet him like they would run to greet a victorious king returning from war. And they're waving palm branches, which is basically like waving an Israel flag at the time. And they shout, Hosanna, Hoshana, which means save now. In other words, you, king who's coming, bringing peace, save us now. You're what we need. You are our sufficiency. But my question is, what did they mean by that? What did they see? I don't, they, they saw Jesus coming as a king, but what kind of king? They saw him coming, bringing peace, but what kind of peace? I think we learned pretty quickly that they expected him to be a political king. 
bringing victory over their Roman oppressors. I think we learned pretty quickly they expected him to bring some kind of worldly peace and prosperity. In other words, the reason they saw Jesus as their sufficiency was because they saw him as a means to get what they thought they needed. And when it became clear that he was not that kind of king and he was not bringing that kind of peace, they no longer saw him as their sufficiency. No, quite to the contrary, they saw him as weak. This parallels how people often think about the sufficiency of Scripture. In other words... People are often have this disposition. I, I, I will embrace this word. I will cling to it as my sufficiency as long as it gives me what I think I need. In other words, I'm, I'm willing to embrace scripture as the word of God and live my life in line with it as long as it produces the life I want. A life, say, free from suffering. Or a life of uh, success and, and health. A, a life where I get what I want. I get the marriage I want and the family I want, the career I want, the health I want, the financial stability that I want. Like, like, like fill in the blank. But like as long as I'm living in line with scripture and it's working like a lucky rabbit's foot, I read it, I rub it, and I get what I, what I want. Then I'll, I'll affirm like, yes, it is Sufficient, But as soon as it doesn't deliver what I think I need, then it's weak. Jesus, the word made flesh, looks weak to the world. He doesn't look like the king of peace we think we need. And this word in ink looks weak to the world. Ancient antiquated book that's hard to understand. It's out of touch with modern life. It's archaic. It's unenlightened. It's superstitious. How could it possibly provide anything that I need for life? The word made flesh and the word in ink both look weak. But shades, see, see the irony, see the irony of their sufficiency. Jesus really is the very king we need, bringing the very peace we need. And he has given us his word so that we might have everything we need to know and follow him. This really is a sufficient word. That's what I want us to see. That's what the psalmist believed. See it with me. You're in Psalm 119. Look at verse 92. The psalmist says, if your law, just another word for his word, scripture, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. In other words, the psalmist, he's he's facing some kind of affliction in his life. Apparently, it's extremely severe because it's threatening him him perishing. And he says his affliction would have caused him to perish were it not for what? His delight is In the word, in other words, whatever affliction he was facing, God's word was enough. It was sufficient for what he was going through. You keep reading into verse 93 and 94, and the psalmist goes on to say that this is always the case. Like no matter what wickedness he faces in this world, he believes that God has given him all that he needs in order to follow God faithfully. He's done that by giving him his word. This word has a unique sufficiency. 
That's how this passage concludes. Look at verse 96. Verse 96. Psalmist says, I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment, your word, is exceedingly broad. In in other words, I've looked at everything that this world has to offer. No matter how perfect or complete any of it looks, all of it has a limit to its sufficiency. But the word, your word, God, is broad. It has no limits. It's completely sufficient. Now, as soon as I make that claim, I know there have got to be questions coming up in your heart and your mind. When I say that Scripture is completely sufficient, you probably have a few things you could throw at that to say otherwise. Like, what do we mean when we say Scripture is completely sufficient, when we talk about its sufficiency? Does that mean you have no need for anything else in your life aside from the Bible? It's completely sufficient. You got it. You have all you need. I, I hope that just by the title of this series, you would know that's not what we mean. The title of this series is not by bread alone. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. But that, that sentence implies that we still also need bread to sustain our physical life. But yeah, you live by the word, but if completely sufficient means you don't need anything else, then what's the need for bread at all? That's clearly not, not what we Mean when we say that the word is completely sufficient, does we, do, do we mean it's completely sufficient to know everything? Like college students, everybody, I'm sorry to disappoint you. Drop out of school. Mika, you need to retire. There's no need to teach anyone anything from any source of knowledge ever except for scripture. Is this what we mean? Like you're in med school uh, and you don't need med school or to learn anatomy. Just do surgery with an open Bible and you'll be good. Don't be my doctor. Please. No, the sufficiency of Scripture doesn't mean that the Bible teaches us everything about everything. But what it means is that the Spirit working through the Word, please don't, don't lose that. Anytime I talk about the Word being sufficient, you need to attach the Spirit to that. I'm not talking about a bare book on a table being sufficient. I'm talking about the living God working by His Spirit through the Word He inspired, wielding it as His sword. Spirit and Word. What do we mean by the sufficiency of Scripture? We mean that the Spirit working through the Word gives me everything I need for salvation. Everything I need to know God. And follow him faithfully. So let me give you a for instance. Okay. If you get cancer, what does the sufficiency of scripture mean for you? Like, if you get cancer, scripture sufficiently gives you everything you need to be a faithful follower of Jesus through that suffering. But that does not mean don't see your doctor or seek treatment. Those are good gifts and means of healing that God has given us. And to embrace them is not to doubt the sufficiency of Scripture at all. 
There are people who talk like that. Let's bring it a little bit closer to home for me. Depression, which I've shared with you all many times. Depression's the biggest struggle of my life. If you suffer from depression, the sufficiency of Scripture does not mean that the Bible tells us everything we need to know about depression. There's a lot that we can learn from doctors, counselors, therapists. Some relief can come through things like medication. I popped my pill this morning. Some medication, therapy, but here's what the sufficiency of Scripture does mean. Whether I experience relief or not, the sufficiency of Scripture means God has given me everything that I need to faithfully live for his glory. The Bible does not tell us everything about everything, but the Spirit working through the Word does give me everything I need for salvation, to know God and to faithfully live for him. That is the Word's sufficiency. Let's see it a little bit more clearly. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy. So you're going to flip way over to the New Testament. You're barely going to have any pages left in your Bible. You're going to go past Galatians, Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, the General Electric Power Company. Anybody learn the books of the Bible that way? You're going to pass all those, past 1 and 2 Thessalonians, past 1 Timothy, and you'll find it. 2 Timothy. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is the, the Apostle Paul's last letter that he writes. And he writes it to Timothy. Timothy was like a son to Paul in the faith. And like Paul, he's a fellow leader in the church. And so Paul writes this letter for many reasons, but one of them is to tell Timothy, here's what you need to keep doing after I'm gone. Here's what you need to remain dedicated to, give your life to. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. But as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul tells Timothy, continue in what you have learned through the scriptures. In other words, continue in the scriptures. Why? He tells us why. Because they, the scriptures, are able to make you wise for salvation. They, the scriptures, are sufficient for salvation. And Paul goes on to explicitly spell out what he means by that through three things. Number one, the word is sufficient for justification. The word is sufficient for justification. When Paul says the scriptures are sufficient to make you wise into salvation, this is where he begins. The word is sufficient for justification. What, it, what does justification mean? To justify something. I'm trying to justify myself. I'm trying to show you that I'm in the right. So to be justified with God means to be made right with God, to be made right before God. How are we made right with God? Yeah, absolutely. Not through our own works or anything we can do but through the work that's been done for us, the work of Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice on the cross. His, we, we experience this glorious exchange where his perfect life counts as mine and he takes my sin upon him and I am justified, made right with God. I receive that work of Christ by faith. Paul says that right here. Look at it one more time, verse 15. He says, the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation... 
What are the next two words? Through faith in Christ Jesus. Through faith in Christ Jesus. The sacred writings, the scriptures, Paul says, are sufficient for your justification. Why? Because, as we saw last week, they're sufficient to show you your sin. They're sufficient to show you your need for a Savior. They're sufficient to reveal to you that Savior, Jesus. And they're sufficient to show you how to respond to what he's done in faith. The Spirit works through the Word to show you that. It's just Romans 10, 17, a passage we've quoted relentlessly throughout this series. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. In other words, the Holy Spirit works through the gospel, through the word of the gospel, to bring you to faith, to open eyes that were spiritually blind, to raise hearts that were spiritually dead, to bring about a new birth of faith in your Heart. Holy Spirit works through the word of the gospel to bring you to faith. James, this is good news. It's good news because it means God has given you everything you need in order to believe. You don't need anything else besides the gospel. I hear people all the time like, "Ah, I would believe if I just had more evidence. I would believe maybe if if God would just give me some kind of sign. Maybe you've thought the same thing. That's not true. God has given you everything you need. I would believe if I just had some kind of sign. We've heard talk like that before. Read it out of Matthew 27. comes off the lips of the chief priest as they mock Jesus on the cross. Come down from the cross and we will believe. Just give us a sign. Shades. Miracles and signs, they have their place. I'm not denigrating them at all, but their place is not as the foundation of faith. Like, do you know how many people in Jesus' day saw miracles and signs and still didn't believe? I mean, people watched him turn water into wine, make blind men see, raise people from the dead, and they still didn't believe. Jesus himself, in Luke chapter 16, at the end of a parable, he, he talks about this. He says this, Luke 16 and verse 31. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, what is that? It's the word. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And he proved his word right, didn't he? Jesus rose from the dead. And the world still does not believe. Because faith comes not through seeing signs, but through hearing the word of Christ. The gospel and the Holy Spirit works through the word to give you eyes to see. You want to see a sign, Shades? You want to see a miracle? Look at your own faith. Nobody, nobody believes apart from the work of the Holy Spirit of God. You were spiritually blind. You did not make yourself see. Spiritually dead, you did not raise yourself to life. You were born again, and you had just as much to do with it as you did when you were born the first time. That's a work of the Holy Spirit of God. It's a miracle. Every miracle you read in the New Testament about a blind person seeing, a dead person being raised, you want to see the same thing, look in the mirror. 
Because if you have faith in Jesus, that is a miracle of God. Faith comes by the Spirit working through the Word. The Word is sufficient, shades. Sufficient for you to see and believe in Jesus and be justified. Sufficiency of the Word doesn't stop there. Because Paul said it's sufficient to make you wise for salvation. And salvation does not consist only of justification. There's more to salvation than than that. That's where we need to see the second thing. The word is sufficient for sanctification. The word is sufficient for sanctification. What what, what is sanctification? We don't, uh, in in Greek, if you're reading the New Testament in Greek, uh, this would be the same root word as the root word for holy. Uh, In English, we don't have the word holification. So we can't say it like that. We have to say sanctification. To to sanctify something means to make it holy. Sanctification is to grow in holiness. It's to grow in Christ-likeness. It's the ongoing, after I've been justified, made right with God, sanctification is the ongoing process of following Jesus. Put it simply, it's, it's living life following Christ, which... I might also add, is also a glorious gift of grace that comes to us through faith. It's not that he justifies us by his grace and then we work really hard for sanctification. No, he justifies us by his grace and then he supplies all the grace needed to follow him all the way home. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far. Grace will lead me home. Sanctification is following Christ, and he provides everything we need to faithfully live our entire lives doing that. And he provides it by means of his spirit working through the word. I'm not the only one who says that. Paul says it. Look again, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture completely, sufficiently equips you for every good work, for, for everything that God calls you to in this life, for, for everything that ever has or, or will come your way. For whatever wickedness or affliction you face, like a shooter in an elementary school. Shades, what do you do when such senseless violence takes the lives of teachers and students? One of the victims in the uh, Nashville shooting was the nine-year-old daughter of Pastor Chad Scruggs. I'm a pastor. I have a nine-year-old daughter. I can't imagine. How do you get through What sustains you? Hear Pastor Scruggs' own words. We are heartbroken 
through tears, we trust. We trust that she is in the arms of Jesus who will raise her to life once again. Shades, that's not trite, that's truth. Holding up a father amidst an impossible situation. It's, it's just God, this, we're not playing with things when we gather here on Sunday and just talking and doing some cute alliteration and filling in some blanks or going through a sermon and singing some songs. We're not playing. Either this is true or it's not. Either it's trite or it's not. It's just God being his children's sufficiency in everything, everything we face. It's like the psalmist said back in, in Psalm 119 and verse 96, God has given us his broad word, broad word. It has no limits. Either it can be sufficient for me when I hold my child lifeless or it can't be. It, it applies to all we need to follow Jesus or none of it. I believe what Paul believes is he sits on death row, staring down his own death, and he pins 2 Timothy 3. Paul says the word of God, it's, it's sufficient to make you complete for every good work. Timothy, as I stare down my own death, they're going to chop off my head. And here's what I believe. The word of God is profitable for teaching. And he goes in two directions, so we'll know the breadth of it. Reproof and correction, in other words, to bring us back from wandering astray and for training and righteousness to show us the way we should go. In other words, the word is sufficient to keep us away from paths that take us far from Christ and to keep us on the path that draws us closer to him. That's what we call sanctification, and this word is sufficient for it. But Shades, that's not all. Paul told us that scripture is able to make us wise into salvation, which includes justification and includes sanctification, but there's one more thing. Glorification. Number three, the word is sufficient for glorification. What's glorification? It's, it's when we make it to the end of the journey. And one day when we will be finally made complete, fully glorified, we will sin no more, but live life perfectly in line with God's will, the life that we were created for. When will we experience that? Whenever we see Jesus face to face. 1 John 3 and verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy that the word is sufficient to get us all the way to that day. 
when we see Jesus face to face and are made like him. The word is sufficient to bring us all the way home to glorification. See that with me, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Paul says, I charge you, Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they'll turn away from listening to the truth, wander off into myths. As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. In other words, Paul says, Timothy, this word that I have told you is sufficient for justification and sanctification. It is sufficient for you all the way until you get home and reach glorification. So preach it until that day. Until Jesus Christ appears with the coming of his kingdom. Preach it in season and out of season. Use it, Paul says. Use it to do all the things that I've said it will do. Use it to reprove, rebuke, exhort. Do this patiently, no matter what you face. Even when people reject the word and wander away from it, it's still sufficient for you, even in that day. It will keep you enduring all the way until you fulfill your ministry. Until you reach glory. Glorification. Shades. Beloved. This word is sufficient. God has given us everything we need to come to know him, justification. To follow him, sanctification. Until the day we are home with him, glorification face-to-face with Jesus. Jesus who looks weak to the world. Palm Sunday reminds us of that, right? He's the king of peace, and we can see by faith that he really is the king of peace that we need. We can see by faith that the word made flesh really is our sufficiency and shades. The weak-looking word in ink is sufficient. It is the sufficient word to lead you to the sufficient Christ. The sufficient word in ink leads you to the sufficient word made flesh. It is able to lead you to him, keep you with him, until you see him. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray. I pray that we would truly believe deep in our bones. You have not left us as orphans. You have sent your spirit. Your spirit who inspired this word, he brought to the remembrance of your apostles everything you taught them. They wrote it down by his guiding and he illumines this word and wields it to lead us. Pray that we have faith, that we believe in the midst of this unsure world that you have given us your certain word and that we can stand on it and it is sufficient. Lord, we trust. We trust. And you alone is our sufficiency. Pray these things in the name.
your son Jesus, by your spirit.